Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of Better Off. Today on the program, we've got Gretchen Rubin, author of The Four Tendencies. The thing is, how do we find a system that works for each of us? And if we have to work together, how do we figure out a way that's going to work for everyone? Instead of like getting to this thing where this is the best way, this is what you should be able to do. If you respected me, you should do what I want without asking me. And I'm like, no, I'm a questioner. I want to know why. I'm not disrespecting you. I'm not questioning your authority. I just want to have an explanation. I don't have to take that personally. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. I'm Jill Schlesinger. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Today on the show, I'm very excited to tell you that we have Gretchen Rubin. She is the author of a book called The Four Tendencies. I was very taken by this book because, you know, after all these different kinds of quizzes about personality, I think that Gretchen Rubin has nailed it. She has figured out that there are generally four different personality types. Given who you are and who everyone else is, that might change your interaction with people in your workplace, in your family, uh, maybe even in a healthcare environment. So it's pretty cool This is actually Gretchen's follow-up book to her New York Times best-selling The Happiness Project. Basically, she is a very astute observer of human nature. So I am delighted to present Gretchen Rubin for today's show. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Gretchen Rubin, welcome to Better Off. How are you? I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Oh, you're very bubbly. I love that. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, We start our program with a question. You ready? Yes. Get ready. It's very important. Okay. What's the best financial decision you have ever made in your life? I think the best decision, maybe surprisingly to some people, was to switch from law to writing because law was like a sure bet and I had clear credentials and writing was like a big leap. But I think writing I can do forever and it's, you know, endlessly interesting and fascinating and I have so much energy to work all the time. Whereas I think if I had stuck with law, I might have burned out and been further along in my career when I wanted to switch. And that would have been more financially risky at that point. This is interesting because like longevity and career, we were just yep. talking before we went on the air about being able to feel productive and work. Your previous book was called The Happiness Project, bestseller, yeah. New York Times bestseller. Yes. And people are happy when they're working, right? Yes. Work is one of the key aspects of happiness. And, uh, you know, and there's all kinds of work. Um, but yeah, people, and if you look at people during the day, a lot of times their happiest times are at work. And your newest book is called The Four Tendencies, The Indispensable Personality Profiles That Reveal How to Make Your Life Better and Other People's Lives Better, too. You know what? I got enough with my own life. Let's Let's fix everybody else. That's a lot more fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How did this project begin? Well, I was working on my book, Better Than Before, which was a book I wrote about uh, habit change, how people can make or break habits. And I was very puzzled by sort of patterns that I saw in how people did or didn't successfully change habits. And somebody said something to me that hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, the weird thing about me is that I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's the same person, same behavior. At one time, it was effortless. Now she can't do it. What's going on? What's explaining this problem that she's having with habits? And through puzzling over that question for months and months and months and also identifying other patterns and how people responded in different situations, I discovered this framework, the four tendencies, um, which explains a lot about how people, why people do or don't do certain things. And it's about inner 
and outer expectations. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so exactly right. So this is about how do you respond to expectations? And we all face outer expectations, which is something like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then we all face inner expectations, which is our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, our own desire to get back into practicing guitar. And so how you respond to outer and inner expectations determines whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And the largest group, based on your research, because you have a website and we'll push to that, I promise, but is the obliger, which I was surprised about, actually. Yes. 41% of obligers, these are the folks who meet outer expectations, but they resist inner expectations, like your friend, the runner. Exactly. So when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. But then when um, she was trying to go running on her own, she stumbled. So you might see this in like a work environment where someone's really effective at work, where there's a boss and deadlines and deliverables and a team. But then when they're trying to do their side hustle on the weekends, it's like, oh, I really, really want to do it. I've been wanting to do it for years. Why am I not moving forward? It's like, okay, because that's an inner expectation and that's hard for an obliger. Let's go. So obliger, 41%. Questioner is 24%. Tell me about questioners. So questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they'll meet that expectation. If it fails their inner standard, they will resist. They typically don't like anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. They always want to know, well, why should I? Um, And so they'll do it if they think they should. And your husband is a questioner. He is a questioner. Do you find that annoying? Well, it's funny. Um, I often do find it annoying because it's like, you know, I called him on the phone the other day and I was like, what's your work address? And he's like, why do you want to know? I'm like, can't you just tell me? Like, why are we even having this conversation? Um, But I know he's a questioner. I should have said like, hey, I'm filling out that boring form that we have to fill out. What's your work address? And then he would have told me. So, but it's also, it's helpful to me because questioners are really good about keeping people on track of like what makes sense because they don't, they don't buy into anything that's a big waste of time or effort. Do they question what is sort of the perceived wisdom of the crowd? Because I find that that part is sort of interesting that, you know, everyone goes along, goes along, goes along. And then there's a question said, but why are we going along? Yes. And that can be very positive and constructive in many situations because they're like, why are we doing this by Friday? Why are we using the software firm? Why am I listening to you? You know, or a questioner child would say, why am I memorizing multiplication tables if I can just look it up on my phone? Why am I doing this? Now, it can be that in some circumstances, questioners will arrive at their own conclusions that might be very different from sort of conventional wisdom. Other people can think of them as crackpots because they're like, (laughs) well... Yeah, I mean, your team of doctors arrives at one conclusion and you, because of your you know, own research, you've decided something completely different and you think you're right, so you're going to do that. Well, sometimes other people are like, mm, you're not giving enough credit to the weight of, of, of expertise. Okay, obliger, questioner, upholder. Yeah. This is you, Gretchen. This is me. Describe to me what the upholder does. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they keep the work deadline. They meet the New Year's resolution without much fuss. Um, so these are the people who are sort of self-starters. Um, they don't need a lot of uh, supervision. They're very good at, at following through on things. So this is the kid who can always remembers to pack their backpack the night before. Um, they can be sometimes rigid because um, they really want to stick to whatever the expectations are. So sometimes they have trouble when situations are fluid or where they're expected to you know, change plans very suddenly. Finally. Yes. The rebel. Yes. Talk about that rebel. So rebel is the smallest tendency. It's a conspicuous tendency, but it's small. And rebels are people who want who resist outer and inner expectations. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it in their own time, in their own way. And if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. 
So typically they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. Like it would be unusual for a rebel to do something like sign up for a woodworking class every Saturday at 10 a.m. Because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. I don't want to have to show up someplace at 10 a.m. It would just bug them to even think that they were supposed to go someplace. Are they perpetually annoyed? In other words, the rebel, it sounds to me like the way you say that, it's, yeah. like, it's sort of like... Um, like a sourpuss almost, or, mm. you know, that, that like, well, I don't want to do that. I mean, I, so I'm going to just speak personally. Yeah. Like my dad was total rebel. Oh, interesting. Total. Absolutely. Ooh. Intensely rebel. And he's, he's dead now. So we yeah. can talk about him however okay. we want. But he, so how would that show up? Like give an example. Oh, okay. Many? Okay. Let me just tell you like one of the greatest ones. Uh, my niece is getting bat mitzvahed. Okay. okay. This is whatever it was, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And he's like, do I have to go to temple? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Here we go. <laughs> uh, and I was like, what are you talking about? It's your granddaughter's bat mitzvah. He's like, I hate temple, though. I hate it. It's such baloney. And it's, a, you know, whatever. I don't believe. I'm like, but it's Emily's bat mitzvah. Yeah. You have to show up. Ooh. Like, don't you want to pass the Torah down? Like, don't you yeah. want to do it? He like literally looked at me like, really? I have to do that? Uh-huh. And, you know, it drove my mother crazy. Yeah. It's hard to deal with a person like that. Yes. So that's that's my yes. experience of a rebel. It, it I, You know, I think it is hard for the other three tendencies to sort of understand the rebel perspective. It's the smallest number of people in the rebel tendency. It's the largest chapter in the book because it's you really have to wrap your mind around it. So here's what I would have said, like, how do you deal with the rebel then? So one is with identity. What kind of person do you want to be? So what you could have said, knowing that he's a rebel, one thing you might have said is like, well, I always think of you as being, you know, like a considerate, loving grandfather who's really there for her. Mm. Is that your identity? Is that who you want to be? And then it's up to you to choose because you can do whatever you want. What kind of person do you want to be? Or you could, what also works with rebels is information, consequences, choice. You give them the information they need. You tell them the consequences of their action or inaction, and then you let them choose. So you might say something like, well, everybody who's the most important in the life of this child is going to be there and is going to be celebrating this moment with her. And it's a moment that she will remember for the rest of her life. Whoever's there, whoever's not there, it's going to make a big impression on her because this is like the biggest thing that's ever happened to her. Information, consequences, choice. Because saying like, you have to go, they're like, no, I don't have to go. You're not the boss of me. You can't right. make me. Right. And it's like, oh, you need, you have to take this blood pressure medication. It's the doctor's orders. I don't have to do what he says. You're not the boss of me. I'm free. So you, you kind of have to get into that rebel mindset of you choose. It's your choice. It's your freedom. It's who you want to be. Because if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. The way that I did it was I said that I and I, my, I only have one sister. And I uh-huh. said, Kim and I will hate you forever if you don't do if you do this, mm. which was basic. Well, that's consequences. Do you right. think it's true? Would you have really? Oh, held I, would, I think my sister would have held it against him for a long time. She even tells a story today about that. He even said it. Yes. That it made her insane. Well, so that's consequences, which is just like, I will never forgive this. Right. Um, and he's like, mm, OK, well, how do I like that consequence? You notice that um, I'm just going to do something that's annoying on a podcast, which is I'm going to show you a page where I've mapped my entire okay. family on oh, this. Oh, excellent. Oh, I love so, seeing this. Okay. <laughs> for those, for, for you, all you listeners, there's like all the um, Upholder, Questioner, Obliger, and Rebel has um, names um, arrows. and arrows going around about. So you really see this in your family. Absolutely. Like, okay. You could pick them. That's what's funny about these is they're, they're very blatant. Once you know this framework, you see them popping up all around you. Yeah. And it was funny oh, to look at great. it generationally. And I also love the other part about the book is that, you know, that you say that every single type can tend towards another. And yes. I think that was useful for me. Can, so, so they can tip. Yeah. So you can tip. So I, I need some help with myself because okay, I want to know good. how to like, tip in, in and out. So okay. tell me about, so I took the quiz and I kind of tried to get to where I was 
you know, what I was. And, um, and you know, I sort of think I know where I am. So mm. help me work through it. Okay. Wait, can I ask you a few questions? Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Okay. Like I can, I've done it before. You have? Yeah, sure. And if there was a sign, let's say you and I were at a coffee shop and there was a sign that said no cell phone use and I pulled out my phone and started using my cell phone. How would, what would, what would you be thinking? I would be thinking the sign says, no, you can't do that. I feel that so that is something when it comes to manners, especially, or mm. that I'm very rigid. Mm-hmm. So, do people call you rigid? Mark, am I rigid? I'm asking the producer. No, he's saying no. So, mm. I think my girlfriend and Mark probably know me the best. Your okay. producer and your life partner are probably the best judges. And if there was something that you wanted to do that was important to you, like I don't know whether you wanted to like take yoga or train for the marathon or, or something like that. Um, would it be easy for you to stick to that even if nobody else cared? Yes, I think it would. You tell a funny story about meditation, like yeah. you did it for a long time. Yeah. And so exactly a year ago, I was like, I need to meditate because uh-huh. I've read all this research that yeah. says meditation, mindfulness, really good. And so people who've listened to this podcast have heard me say, I meditate. Yeah. Okay, by the way, I stopped meditating uh-huh. like six months after because I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm trying to do it at four o'clock in the morning. It's not working for me. Yeah. And I haven't started up again. So I made this thing. Okay, I'm going to do headspace every day, six months. Uh huh. Then I was like, eh. I want to sleep late. Uh-huh. Later. <laughs> huh. You're kind of coming up upholder to me. Does that ring true to you? I, I you think sound I'm, like an upholder who tips to question. That's exactly what I thought. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's where I went. Score. Yes. Upholder who tips to question. Right. Yes. That's kind you of. You and I are the same. That's yeah. my tendency as well. And I do tend to also ask the, I, I feel like the questioner part, I also like tend to question a, authority, mm-hmm. and B, conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. So I'm always very leery of like for example everyone's like oh the lord of the rings is the best movie ever and i'm like if everyone says it how could it be right yeah yeah okay so that's not good well one of the things about the tendencies that's that's uh, important to keep in mind is that this is just one tiny narrow aspect of your personality it's how you respond to expectations so depending on how curious you are how intellectual you are how adventurous you are how considerate of other people's feelings you are how extroverted or introverted you are um, all these things would mix up and make a person, you know, upholders totally different. So you could be a very analytical, curious, uh, intellectual upholder. But what makes you different is that for the questioner, the, the immediate response is, why should I? Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing, why should I? And um, there's just this sort of, even if there's rules in place, like a lot of questioners are bothered by traffic regulations, which they see as arbitrary. It's like, why is everybody going 65 miles an hour? That doesn't make any sense. Or five garments in a dressing room. Like that's totally arbitrary. You know, whereas to me as an upholder, and maybe you feel the same way, you're like, whatever, five garments, I get it. Like I'm not, it's not worth my time to like noodle over why five, why not six, why not eight? You know, it's like, it's five. Okay, fine. Right. Exactly. So let's not go crazy. If I know I'm an upholder and I meet outer and I meet inner. So then I don't need quite as much help getting on the stick. But if I'm in somebody who's resisting my inner, the obliger, then I might want to seek external accountability. Absolutely. 100 percent. But that's sort of a brilliant thing to figure out because then you could say, like, I can do something online. I can join a group. Once I put it out there, I'm going to be more accountable to it. And chances are more likely to actually achieve it. No, and I think of everything in the book, that's the thing that's been sort of the most helpful insight to the most people is that if you're an obliger and you're struggling to meet inner expectations, like you want to run, you want to meditate, you want to save more, you want to, uh, you know, lose weight, what you need is a system of outer accountability. And just like you said, once you know that what you need is outer accountability, there's a million ways, there's a million apps alone to help you get outer accountability. It's something that 
we're very familiar that a lot of people need, but some people don't really need outer account. They might benefit from it, but they don't need it in the same way. And for a rebel, outer accountability might actually be counterproductive. But if you know you're an obliger, you know that you must have outer accountability, that that's crucial. And so instead of like thinking about, oh, why can't I never take time for myself? You can spend that time and energy figuring out, okay, given that I need outer accountability, what can I do? I want to read more. I'll join a book group. Like that's simple once you realize that that's what is necessary. What was surprising as all this data about people are coming in? Like you get all this different information. What surprised you as you were compiling this? The thing that surprised me really is that no one's picked up on this before. I keep thinking like this. Once you know it, it's so obvious and people are so clearly falling to each one that I kept thinking like, it can't be, I must be missing something or like, and, and I would go over, you know, examples after examples. And I was constantly like trying to poke holes in the framework and like, does it account for everything? And what about this? What about that? Um, and, but sort of everything fit into the framework. Like for instance, one of the things that was surprising to me was that, okay, so rebels don't like outer or inner expectations, but some rebels are very attracted to areas of high regulation, like the police, the military, the clergy, or large corporations with like sort of a lot of rules. And this seemed very par paradoxical to me. And I was like, well, maybe this means my framework doesn't work. But then when I talked to rebels, it was like they, they understood that about themselves. And they would say like, I need to be in a place with a lot of regulation because otherwise I just sort of stall out. I need something to push against. I need somebody to give me rules that I can resist. And that's like me pushing off the side of the swimming pool. If I were just like out on my own, some rebels thrive in that like they want to be entrepreneurs or they want to be salespeople who are out on the road every day doing their own things but some people like they need structure in order to have the energy to resist and so it did fit within the framework but you know so I was constantly looking like was this is this an exception does this not fit and and slowly everything kind of fit into the puzzle this is better off with Jill Schlesinger we'll get back to our interview with Gretchen Rubin in just a minute but here's a big question. Are you getting as much as you can from your investments? It might be something that bugs you constantly. Or, hey, maybe it's been a while since you thought about it. Either way, it can be difficult to figure out. Enter Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Betterment now offers a free investment review, which helps you assess your investment accounts, tax strategies, fees, and risk exposure. See what you're doing well and how you can improve and get a better picture of what you can expect from Betterment. No sign-up required. Visit Betterment.com slash betteroff to start your free five-minute investment review today. That's Betterment.com slash betteroff. And now, back to our interview with Gretchen Rubin. So you're an upholder and you went to law school. You went to yeah. undergraduate. You fancy um, undergraduate. You went to yeah. law school. Yep. You basically, you were editor of the Law Review. Yes, I was. Which is very impressive, I have to say. I mean, like beyond all the other yeah, stuff that's impressive about yeah, you, but it's like, journal, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah. You become a clerk for Sandra Day O'Connor. Yes. And I just, I, I guess I'm wondering as you think about it, like when you go back, like, is it surprising that you said you didn't just stay in that channel, I guess? Well, you know, I think this is one of the places where being an upholder really came to my help because so, you know, for a long time, I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer, just didn't know. And so I just went to law school like so many people do. You know, it's a great education. It'll keep my options open. I can always change my mind later. It's great preparation. I'm good at research and writing. So I went to law school. But then at a certain point, actually, while I was clerking for Justice O'Connor, I got seized with this idea that I wanted to turn into a book. And what helped about being an upholder was, so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So I had all the outer expectations of sort of my work and my career, 
But then once I had the inner expectation, like, I want to be a writer, I literally went to a bookstore and got a book called something like How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal and followed the instructions. And some people said to me, well, how did you do that? Where you had, you had nobody looking over your shoulder. You had, no, you, know, you had no idea if it would work. And I'm like, but for an upholder, that kind of thing comes easily because it's like, well, I just, here's the plan I'm going to execute. I don't need somebody looking over my shoulder or telling me like, oh, this is due by the end of the month because it's just like... I can do that for myself. That's one of the great strengths of being an upholder. Okay, so I need your help on something, right? Oh, okay. Uh, so one of my cousins mm. is really highfalutin engineer type. Okay. And he says to me, uh, he said, could you look at my 401k? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. And he's, you know, in his 50s, and it's all in cash. Mm. And I said, hmm. Mark's yeah. shaking his head. And I was like, really? What? I said, now what? What's going on here? Uh-huh. And he goes, well, I'm very nervous. I don't like the stock market. Okay. I said, okay. Because he's very risk averse. He's risk averse, but his when I kept digging, he said, no one can prove to me <gasps> that the market will go up. I said, well, yeah. we know uh, okay. over the past blank years, yes. this is what has happened. He goes, but you can't tell me what's going to happen tomorrow right. or for the next month or yes. the next 10 years. Like, what if we go into a 20-year depression? Yes. I don't know when the next financial crisis is yes. happening. Well, we just had one. But nothing broke through. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. I think he's probably a questioner. Do you think he's a questioner? He's a high questioner. Okay. And yeah. I felt like there was no assuaging that fear. Right, right. Well, because he's also just like, there's. you can't show me the data. Right. And he's right, because no one can predict the future. So, you know, objectively, what he says is true, because you're saying, I'm just based on, you know, what's the... what's the Past performance is yeah, no yeah, indication yeah, yeah, of future yeah, yeah, yeah. results. Right, right, right. And you're kind of saying, ah, well, I kind of do think the past, we can predict the future from the past. Um, I mean, I think, in that, and this may be where I was saying, it's a harsh word to say, but crackpot, but this can be where questioners... Oh, total crackpot, can I look, agree. They can kind of form their own decisions. So what I would say is I would really emphasize to him your reasons and your justification for why you think. And you could say, you know, and like try to show him data that would that would do it. Now, another thing that really appeals to questioners is customization. They like to think that they're doing something that's in the way that's most efficient for them. And they also often like to experiment on themselves to get more information. So they're kind of like the kind of um, like life hacker types. Um, so what you might say is like, I understand what you're saying. And of course you're right because we can't know the future. But what if as an experiment, we took a certain amount of money that you felt comfortable with and we decided to do something else with it and so, in a level that you felt like you could handle just to see what would happen. And let's do this in the way that's right for you and your outlook and your beliefs. So it's the idea of customization and then experimentation. Because if we do this experiment for a couple of years, that might change your mind because you're going to see, you're going to have new information coming in. So customization. I love that. Yeah. Another thing that can happen to questioners, um, it's, he's got you as a guide, so that's good. But they can sometimes fall into analysis paralysis. Totally. Yes, where they, they want more and more and more perfect information and they can't make a decision or move forward because they just want more information. And this can make them stall out. And one of the things that can sometimes help is trusted authority. Like, oh, I'm going to look up consumer reports or I'm going to, you know, oh, my cousin is like a well-respected financial expert. But sometimes they won't accept someone's expertise. And so in which case it really has to go to that, like, let me give you all the information because you have to be the best judge for yourself. I feel like on this program we get that sometimes where people will call in because we do we do callers. We have yeah, listeners sure. who call in yeah. and ask for financial advice. And I'm a certified financial planner, so I can yeah. like throw that hat on and do it. 
But uh, Mark will tell you that sometimes we'll get people who say like, well, I've been trying to convince my wife of this, but she doesn't believe me. But if I call you and I play this yes. back to her, yes. then she will believe you. Because you're a trusted authority. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's um, so interesting. Yeah. And so part of it is like, who who is, and that's like for a doctor. I need to know that you're my trusted authority. I have a friend who like interviewed five pediatric surgeons because she's like, I have to have somebody that I really believe in or I'm not going to do what he says. I think it's very interesting to consider that there are some some blind spots that each of the tendencies yes, yes. have. They all have great strengths, but also weaknesses. And and I, I think you talk about how there's this idea that if you're if you are so not just rigid, but if you're paying attention to these these external messages and you're being like the good boy, the good girl, that you can rebel against that. Yes. What does that look like? Okay, so yeah, what you're talking about is obliger rebellion, which is a very common pattern. So this is so obligers readily meet outer expectations and they struggle to meet inner expectations. So one thing that can happen is they will be meeting, 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 meeting expectations, and then suddenly they just snap and they're like, Okay, this I will not do. And you know, and, and they put their foot down and sometimes it's small and symbolic. Um, like I'm just not gonna answer your emails for two weeks. Or sometimes it's huge, like I'm gonna quit this job and go work for a competitor. Yeah, I'm gonna go have an affair. I'm gonna go have an affair, I'm gonna divorce you, I'm gonna bake up break up a twenty year friendship, you're dead to me, I'm over, there's nothing that you can say or do to fix this. Now Obliger rebellion is really meant to protect an obliger because it happens when an obliger feels exploited, taken advantage of, neglected, not hurt, or where burdens have just become so high that, that the, the obliger can't take it anymore. So it's meant to protect them by sort of blowing up the situation. And sometimes it can be good. So sometimes it does have a good effect, but sometimes it really can be very destructive because it's not controlled. It's an explosion. And obligers themselves will often say that they're acting out of character. And there can be reputational risks because to people around you, it's like, well, if you didn't want to do it, why did you say you would do it? Or where is this coming from? You never said anything about this before. And so people like feel very puzzled and frustrated by the behavior. So one of the things that obligers can do is to watch out for this feeling of deep resentment and burnout that's building. Mm. Like, it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. It's, you know, why do they keep pushing this on me? And try to avoid it. Or if you're somebody around an obliger, like let's say you're in a work situation, you could say to yourself, hey, there's a lot of unpleasant work travel. Is everybody partaking in that equally or are a couple of people picking up way more than their share? Or is there somebody, are there a couple of people who are taking all the extra shifts? Or is there somebody who's on every committee and every team and then other people who really are, are only doing the interesting stuff? And, or, or maybe you haven't taken vacation in 18 months and I'm gonna say to you, hey, I want you to come in at the end of the week and tell me when you're going to take vacation because you're too important. We don't want you to burn out. We don't want you to lose you. If you're not able to draw that boundary, if you're not able to, to like resist an outer expectation that people just, because if you're in the workplace, people just want you to work, 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 work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you as a team member or as a boss need to say, or, you know, or as a spouse or as a friend, you need to say, this is too much. Too much is being asked of you. Let's let's figure out how you can get outer accountability for meeting an inner expectation of giving yourself a break or pushing back. All right. So questioner, you can get analysis paralysis. Yes. You can seem like a crackpot. Yeah. Obliger, you can like snap and yes. be like, ah, yeah. no yeah. one appreciates me. Yes. Rebel's obvious. What about upholder? So upholders um, can suffer tightening, which is when the rules get tighter. So a friend of mine who's an upholder, his, his girlfriend wanted her, him to use this budgeting app, which had really helped her. Um, because as I'm sure, you know, as you've talked about many times, if you monitor what you spend, people do a better job. And he's like, no, I can't do that because I, I know myself and I would become so obsessed with tracking every single penny on this app. It would just consume my whole life. That's tightening. It's like the rules just get tighter and tighter and tighter until a, 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 an upholder can become a faceless bureaucrat doing their own paperwork. So when I was back in college, I, yep. I stopped playing sports. I gained weight. 
Mm -hmm. I went to Weight Watchers. Mm -hmm. And I was so good at Weight Watchers. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, my God. First of all, way back when, 100 years ago, you used to write down every single thing you ate. Monitoring. Monitoring. But I also couldn't quite figure out how to stop dieting. Not that I was like That's anorexic. That's tightening. There you go. So right? you are in a folder. So, yes, so I really couldn't, like I literally said to the person, like I don't like I don't trust myself. I'm kind of scared. I don't want to gain the weight back. And like, how do I do this? Yeah. It was hard. That was actually harder than losing the weight. Yeah. For me. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, well, we're going to do this thing called maintenance. You're yes, going to add things yes, back. Yes. I got no, so super, I get like crazed. No, that's exactly tightening. Or like I've heard of like physical therapists who say, oh, I told my client to do this exercise once a day and then come to find out he was doing it three times a day thinking like, oh, well, once is great, three times is better. That's tightening. And so this is something that upholders really want to mindfully control. How about um, the fact that I can, no, let's talk about me because really let's it's like a therapy, you. therapy session. I love it. This is my favorite thing to do. I okay. know. And you're an upholder. There aren't that many upholders. I don't get to hang All out right. with an upholder. So here's our motto. Because yeah. one of my favorite things is the mottos. Yeah. So does this ring true for you? Discipline is my freedom. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, hold on a second. I have to see if I can find something here that'll oh. prove to you that I have that. But uh, I'll, I'll look my lists like okay. insanity. I'm yeah. insane, and yeah. I have to write them down. Yeah. By the way, somehow or other, on an index card, putting that oh, list. Index cards is a sign of upholders. I don't really? know. What, well, it's just anecdata, but it seems like they come up a lot. Just like Excel spreadsheets come up a lot. There we go. Okay. <laughs> So she is showing me a like multi-element. It's an oversized. This is not just your average. Index I have a lot card. going on. This is not even five by seven. This is this is like a five by seven. I think. Yeah. So it's not a four by six or a three by five. Right. There's underlining. There's brackets. There's exclamation points. There's multiple colors. Are the colors coded or it was just not a always? Pen. It's just a different pen and the different morning. So so it was like it's like my CBS life, my 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 life there for my column, my yes. the blog posts. The yep. what do I need to do? for the I gotta here. read Gretchen's book it's, I got it right I gotta do it's that and dates then, and it's the, phone number right it's, it's like and this is like personal yeah. side on the right but yeah. insanity there you go. right okay. yes it's insanity but it's great but I so, love it but so again this is one of the things though is if you were surrounded by people who were like you're too rigid you need to like be looser you're too hard on yourself you need to get rid of this you need to do it on an app like why are you doing on a hard car it's like you're like hey this is who I am. There's a lot of people like me. There's a lot of people like you. It's not that one of us is right and one of us is wrong. The, the thing is, how do we find a system that works for each of us? And if we have to work together, how do we figure out a way that's going to work for everyone? Instead of like getting into this thing where this is the best way. This is what you should be able to do. If you respected me, you should do what I want without asking me. And I'm like, no, I'm a questioner. I'm just, I want to know why. I'm not disrespecting you. I'm not questioning your authority just want to have an explanation. I don't have to take that personally, you know. Gretchen Rubin, The Four Tendencies. Thank you so much. I have to say, this has been so enlightening. We started the program. I said, what was your best financial decision? Mm. Tell me about the worst. My worst financial decision was probably when I allowed my baby sister to start a dime collection. This infuriated me because she would just say to everybody in her life, oh, can I have your dime? I collect dimes. I was like, how did I not get in on that action? She was just like, they were just giving her money because they gave her any dime. And wait a minute. That's not, that's not like an adult thing. She no, no, did no. that as a child. No, no, no. Right? no, 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 no. But I mean, <laughs> but as a child, I, re- I just like, I still remember my indignation. Like, how did I not come up with this angle myself? All right. What about as an adult, your worst financial? decision or your worst career decision either Uh, one I'll let you do either one okay well I think it wasn't a career decision but it was something that kind of distorted my thinking for a long time and it was only in retrospect I realized how bad and it was like a very bad idea to go viral in my brain 
I was talking to somebody who's a very, very respected writer, very respected writer. And um, I was saying to her, she's like, well, what's your subject? Like, what's your larger subject? And I said, well, my subject is human nature. And she said, you can't have that as a subject. It's too broad. And like, for some reason, that just took hold in my mind. Like, oh, it's illegitimate to say that human nature is my subject. And I like, I had this idea for like five years. It's preposterous. Why would this like drive by person in my life tell me something what does that even mean? You can't, that can't be your subject. It's preposterous. But somehow, like, because of my respect for her, I just sort of accept maybe this is a polder. I just accepted it like, oh, well, I guess that's true. And then finally, it took me so long. I'm embarrassed how long it took me to just challenge that idea and be like, of course it's my subject. And of course it can be my subject. Who are you to say it's not my subject? It's like one of the most popular. I mean, it's like one of the most ancient subjects of all time. And, I, and then I realized she probably was like, ooh, I want that to be my subject. So... It's taught me, like, never let anybody else tell me my business, you know? I like like that. Yeah. That's really good advice for anyone. It's also good, you know, just whatever tendency you are. Yeah. To also, you have to sort of accept who you are. You do. And it makes it so much easier that, you know, if you're fighting against it all the time, oh, no, I really want to be an obliger. Well, no, you you are who you are. And that's what I loved about the book. It gives you tons of really great ways to be introspective, but also ways to think about other people in your life or some of the other tendencies, whether it's workplace or, as you say, in, you know, a medical situation, I would think even, you know, in any service industry in a lot of ways. So thank you for writing it. It was really, it was really illuminating. And I really, I so appreciate it. Oh, this is such a fun conversation. I learned about you. I learned about your father. This is so much fun. This is very good. It's it's like the Jill show. It's scary. (laughs) It's really the Gretchen show. Go get the four tendencies. We'll link to it on the uh, show notes. It's really worth your read. And I read it quickly, easily, well-written, beautiful, all perfect, Gretchen. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Gretchen Rubin. Go out and get her book, The Four Tendencies. And while you're at it, maybe a few of her other books, Better Than Before or The Happiness Project. Thanks again to Gretchen. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also reach me via email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.